so it's um it's all working. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I mean, you're quite cheeky compared to what other chefs do. Mm. Are you just having a laugh? Yeah. Um, I I am. I love what I do, and um, I do think that it doesn't matter how gastronomic food is mm. or can be. I think you should be able to have fun, and I, yeah, if I could choose the best, if one word that a customer could say to me to experience to, to describe their experience at the restaurant, it would be fun mm. to, to have a sense of fun, um, and um, and so I think food's got the ability. I don't, this is not why I went and got interested in cooking at all at the beginning, but I, I kind of began to realise that as a cook, we're kind of at this crossroads of, of um, the senses, because eating is the only thing we do that uses all of the senses, Yeah, you can actually, it's great opportunities to be able to play around with that. Mm. And so the fun element I, uh, for me is really important. So I do like to have a laugh and I like, mm enjoying myself I think there's a, I think there's a lot of sometimes food can be over intellectualised as well yeah, I mean I, I yeah. might talk like that with some of the other some mm. of my ideas sometimes, but I do think it can be over intellectualised and it should be about having a sense of fun well, sometimes this whole foodie element over yeah. intellectualise it and sort of gets too serious sometimes perhaps yeah I mean there's sort of you know uh, you, this I don't think it's the cheese is harvested at 737 metres by a three-legged goat that only mm. has its hair cut on a Wednesday or, you know, yeah. so that sort of thing. Um, and, and, and there is, um, there is also, um, I, I, su I suppose it would be a, a level of food snobbery that some sometimes it's okay, it's okay to eat some prawn cocktail from a tub, from a plastic mm. tub, it's mm. alright. You know, uh, I'm not sure. Are you? Um, I don't. Know if if you saw any of the over the last couple of years, there's been a, a, a really big growth in sort of campaigning programs when it comes to food on yeah. television. Well, in a, in England, there has over here they couldn't give a shit. Right, that's what I meant. Yeah, in England. Yeah. It's interesting, and, and it really was that sort of. I think it's getting to a point in Britain now where people are starting to feel that actually I don't want to be told that unless I buy this free-range chicken. Yeah. yeah, I shouldn't. I mm. don't deserve to eat food, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, <coughs> but see, on the on the flip side, the, the very people, most of the people that are coming mm. to eat there, are those foodies that are coming to your thing anyway. I mean, yeah. Yes. I mean, I I just obviously people will do what they do when they come to the restaurant. But for me, I'd rather I'd rather that you came and just had the override an overriding sense of fun and just. Mm. Didn't, Relaxed and enjoyed it mm. because the other is rather than discussing how many sticks of celery are in the, in yeah. the consomme and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and I suppose in the restaurant we get such a wide range of um, such a wide range of customers. I mean, some days it can be average age can be kind of early thirties, and other days mm. it could be into its late sixties. Mm. Um, and it might sound a bit corny, but I still think that that couple that might have saved up for months and months and months to come and eat and it might be the only time they ever come and eat and then mm. it might be you know, they might turn up a little bit nervous to start with but if they can walk in shoulders go down relax and then they eat things they think oh I'm not sure if I'd like that and mm. just have that uh, overriding sense of fun then that's one of the real kind of great satisfactions of my job 
Mm. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, how many times did you have to try at some of the things you do by putting them out in a restaurant before people actually accepted it? But you know, when you first put it on the plate, people were sort of going, "What the hell's this?" Um, yeah, there are certain dishes which it's not many, but there's certain dishes that I've put on the menu, and I've got, I, I won't put them on the menu until I think that they're good enough to go on. Mm. But after two months of it on the menu, because you, yeah. even if you practice this dish 80 times to 100 times, mm. if you actually serve it day in, day out, over two months, you know, you cook, if it's on the tasting menu, you could quite easily have served a couple of thousand, right. uh, that dish a couple of thousand times. So you start to get more um, au fait with the intricacies of the, of the dish, and then, and then there is a kind of a refining process that, that, that goes on. But I, 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 in particular, Bacon and egg ice cream. Yeah. And the salmon with licorice. Yeah. Bacon and egg ice cream, it, uh, without a doubt, is the one more than anyone else. When we first put it on, it was that people did love it from the beginning, but also it polarised people. Really, yeah. it really yeah. did. It was a kind yeah. of love or hate thing. <clears throat> and I, I, I think a lot of factors. There's a mix. There's a the element of us just getting better at what we do. Mm refining the dish mm. people's expectations were coming to mm. the restaurant um, um, and actually just hearing the dish enough times it doesn't become oh, it's a bit strange. I've, I've heard it enough times it sounds less strange well, I can imagine it polarising people when I get with my wife mm. you know, I, I write about food I'm into it yeah. I'll try anything apart from spiders probably but you know she's a bit more fussy you know sort of, of a chicken yeah. sort of person and she'll go well yeah, yeah it's alright but yeah. You know, there's always going to be that kind of thing. There will be now. I'd say it's, I don't know how many, but it's it's 90% plus success rate. Yeah. But that's it. That's interesting. That's a dish that, so when I first put it on, for not just one reason, but for several reasons, it really was. Nobody just knew what it was. Uh, yeah. Nobody and knows what it you're doing. Just, it was this. It did this all but the time. I thought you were insane or something. Yeah. Brilliant. Horrible. You know, it's that mm. kind of that kind of I thing. Can imagine. And and now it's one of those dishes that even if you took it, the dish has changed a lot though. Having said that, in the last three three four years, but it's one of those things. That if it's off the menu, if we took it off the menu, that would be the one of the dishes that people say, "Well, why haven't you got bacon and ice cream? Why didn't you have mm. bacon and ice cream?" And people that actually um, want it again, yeah, and again. So so that is, is the snail porridge the same? Um, funny enough, no, because. It, that's all in the name yeah and actually if I was to call it a risotto of um, a parsley risotto of oats with fricassee of snails and shaved fennel salad that's so what it is part, part of the name is um, but because yeah. it is porridge and it has got snails in it and, and the only the only reason I would say why you wouldn't like that dish is if you're not keen on snails or you don't like parsley because it, uh, yeah. uh, uh, <coughs> it's that dish is all about the name. And funny enough, I only I didn't I didn't know this when I put the dish on the menu, but I found out because we did a lot of work into hence this feast program, but historic yeah. recipes. And in Tudor times, savoury porridges, they they weren't all over the place, but I found half a dozen recipes for I found an onion and butter porridge to be to serve with meats. Mm. So people were eating porridges as a as a kind of so vegetable garnish so to meat. I mean Haggerty's stuff for the oats and things. Yeah, it's only that we think of porridge as something that we put yeah. jam on or, or honey on in the, in yeah. the, and, and have it for yeah. breakfast. Yeah. yeah. So 
in, in what you do, I mean, you know, you've got what Heston does, what you do, if you look at the dishes, they're diff very different, but yeah. in terms of the techniques and the science behind mm -hmm. it, what you're trying to do is very similar. Can, 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 you, can you articulate how you're different to what he's trying to do? Um, I mean, he talks about this new alphabet and, and creating a new language for food. Is, mm -hmm. is what you're doing similar or is it more um, simple? No, mine, I would say that I'd, I wouldn't call myself a scientist. Um, mm. I'm, I'm a cook, but I'm interested in finding out how things work. Yeah. So I ask lots of questions. And so my, my, my food science knowledge actually came about over, mm. over the last 10, 15 years of, of actually not, not liking not knowing how something works and then trying to find out how it did work and then sort of mm. using that information to move it to, to a different kind of direction. Yeah. But I would say that the, the main difference, I'm my real fascination is 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 how the and I simply scratch the surface. I'm not mm. a neurologist, but how the brain works, the, the whole brain, world of yeah. perception, the whole world, the way that the the senses actually influence the way that we mm. perceive and appreciate food, and so it's that it's it's the multi-sensory element of it that I that I find the most exciting. Um, in terms <coughs> of a new food language, I mean, they, they have been talking, you see, they've been talking about this in various areas of the food world for a few years now. So, for mm. example, the flavour industry mm. has for a long time been frustrated that there's not, the language to explain flavours is very, very limited. And we're to try and find a new language because as we're expanding our knowledge of the way that the, the mind works, processing flavour perception related mm. information, Actually, it's the language is still very limited, and it's actually, funny enough, it's more limited in French than it is in English. Is it yeah, in the sense of taste and flavour, because we talk about um, when the f taste is the combination of, <coughs> um, sorry, flavour is a combination of taste and aroma. Yeah, but in France, it doesn't work that way. Goo, the word taste in France actually means it means flavour. We don't have something to describe as many of the ta uh, as many of the kind of oh. um, taste elements, the things that happen in the mouth, and so I still think that it's enormously as a food writer, it's enormously difficult, dif difficult yeah. to describe. And you look at how wine writers describe it; they describe the wines as all the same. It's dark yeah. cherries and black fruit, yeah. and black currant. You think, well, yeah, but it could be really different from the other one that was just the same. It is hard because also what they've realizing now is that we look at the senses. It used to be that all the, all work, all sort of research work done on 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 sensory perception focused mm -hmm. on one sense. They look at how mm -hmm. the eyes worked, how the ears worked, how mm -hmm. and now um, it's now considered you can't do that because you can't take one sense in isolation. Mm -hmm. Because unless you only unless you only have the use of your eyes and all the other senses don't work, it's one thing. But most of us. We, when we see something, we also hear. We also smell. And yep. We also feel, and it's it's how those actually interact. So there is an argument to looking at just in general language of mm. food, and what's that also? What's that language for? If you're so you're, you're a journalist, you're writing. It's one thing writing notes for yourself, so mm. you exactly remember what something tasted like. It's another mm. thing if you then got to try and describe that to somebody it who's is. reading. Exactly. So. Um, but I would say that's uh, the, the one of the one of the, the main differences. I mean, that's where I'm talking about for M mm. differences with um, the, the whole kind of multi-sensory approach. Um, 
So you, I mean, we've had the, you got the one with the sounds of the sea, isn't it? I think. Yeah. That yeah. and your very sensitive, I suppose, crunch and texture and a yes. lot, lot, lot more of that sort of. The right word to use, I was going to say gimmick, it's not a gimmick, but more sort of obvious, perhaps. Yeah, it's, it's how you incorporate that stuff without making it look like it's becoming a mm. theme park type yeah. thing, or you're turning customers into into kind of lab rats. And the key for me is is if you can, and it doesn't work with every dish, and, I don't, and, and, and it would be wrong to do it right mm. through the menu, but there's certain times where you can actually use the so what you're using the food as, as, as the picture frame, and then the, then the diner's painting their own picture. So this is where, the, for yeah. me, the sound of the sea works so well, is that if I was to show you a photograph of a seaside scene, mm. that's the seaside scene. Mm. But the sound of the sea lapping out, waves lapping up against the shore and the sound of seagulls mm. is exactly, that sound is that you don't, there's no, uh, you don't have to reinterpret it your way. You can then paint your own picture and your memory um, when you've got those sounds, so they ha they can act almost as the fr as, as the frame for the picture. Mm. So, so in that dish, I think that works. Um, that you, works really well. You, you talk a lot about umami as well. Yeah. And with your recent work with sherry. Yes. Which you're being paid to market sherry. Yeah, I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I'm a kind of. But it's all ambassador. Yeah. They're called. But it's sort of umami seems to be. You don't get a lot of chefs, Western chefs, thinking or talking about that concept. No. I mean, how important is that to what you do and what you're constructing? Um, I, I think it's as important as salt or sugar. Yeah. Because um, I always remember Marco Pierre White always saying he used to, he, he's always going about his Nore cubes he seasons with, yeah, yeah. which I guess is almost like putting umami instead of salt. Well, they've on. got MSG in them. Yeah. They're full of MSG, and actually, yeah. um, Joel Robichon hmm. was he he was as far as I'm aware he was the first chef that actually use that in part, in part of his cooking so a lot of oh his really? chicken yeah. no, his chicken broths and um, stocks hmm. would have a little bit of crumbled stock cube or, yeah. or like a magi powder yeah. in it not not so much that you could taste that above and uh, mm. everything else but it would almost be something to add an extra depth yeah and I suppose if with the with the umami the problem when you talk about umami to people you say Try and explain to it, and the moment you go, well, it's you know, it's the effects of MSG, and people go, oh my god, MSG, they get a headache. Yeah, and 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 there's actually there's 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 no, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm sitting on the fence here, but in terms of medical evidence to say mm. that it's bad for you, there's a lot more to say that salt's bad for you than, yeah. than MSG. Mm. Um, so I, I I mean I I've I've done obviously more work on it because we grow up Western diet, we grow up with salt and sugar, and we, yeah. we don't we can really we, they're just kind of second nature to us. But it is—it's for me—it's as important as that because it, the t the umami taste is mm. a taste like the bitter taste and the sour taste and the sweet taste and the salty mm. taste. Um, um, and I—it's I, I, hard to explain to somebody what umami is when they haven't tasted. Well, not when they ha they have tasted it, but you can't explain the feelings. If you say, "Let's have tomato ketchup's got umami," but it yeah. also has tomato flavour, it has sweetness, it has acidity, sour, yeah. yeah, everything else. So to pick out umami from it is quite tricky. Yeah. What I used to do with staff... It tends to taste like Marmite if you just pick out umami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, even, even Marmite... Well, Marmite's got the highest got, concentration. I think Vegemite yeah, is just slightly bland. It's got, the, um, it's got that meaty, yeasty, yeah. malty mm. character to it as well. Whereas the best thing of all to do, and I, I haven't done this for a few years, but it's what I used to do, mm. Uh, particularly with French 
staff because mm. they to, to try and explain a mummy to them is just yeah. even more yeah. difficult. But get a jar, this I, I can't remember the brand name, which is in the States, a tub of MSG from the supermarkets. Okay, yeah. And literally, I just keep this, didn't put it in the food, I just keep it in the cupboard. And every now and then, I had a little training session, I said, got umami. Do you know what umami is now? So, right, stick your finger in there and then wait and see what happens. And it has no flavour, because mm. obviously, you know, Marmite has a flavour as well. Yeah. Um, but they can have that feeling in the mouth and then you can then go on to explain that now if you taste some tomato ketchup or taste some parmesan cheese or mm. taste some marmite or taste you know, that kind of thing you can then get the umami feeling the umami effect so I'd say it, it's no more important than the other tastes it, mm. but it's, it's certainly it's as quite, important it's not something that people are really like going around isn't really considering umami that much when he's putting it together or no. anyone else I, well I think chefs in the Western world, intuitively do, do but not yeah. to the extent the Japanese. The Japanese do. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, um, pizza is a really good example because you've got mm. tomatoes and parmesan, yeah. and they've got the, t the, the different type of glutamates in in the parmesan and tomato mm. sticking together, and you get this kind of magnified umami effect. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, we do do it in the Western world, but we don't realise we're doing yeah. it. Whereas we talk about the effect of salt. You need a bit of salt to help the bitterness. Yeah. You need a bit of salt when you put fat in. We don't yeah. talk about umami like that. Yeah, the just Chinese know about it because they cook fish and chicken stock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, like they, yeah, and and all the dried, the sort of dried, dry, yeah, dried mushroom and dried fish products and yeah. soy sauce and all this yeah. kind of stuff and um, uh, rice wine and mm. sake. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, sherry having umami is obviously a great match for many things, mm. but um. With everything you're doing with food, and I know winemakers have put a lot of work into their wine, mm -hmm. doesn't just seem a bit pedestrian just to serve a boring old Montrachet with the food or whatever? Should there not be something that you've done that's more elaborate and built together at the same time as the food to go so exactly with <coughs> the food? Um, I, I think that there are some things where you can have a dish and you can design something that you could drink to go with the dish. Mm. But... There is also something about coming back to this thing of having a sense of fun and enjoyment, yeah. and 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 the over intellectualising of it. I would say that if you there's certain things that if you have a great wine, mm. you can have a great uh, certain dishes will compare well with, with with wines, whether they're great wines or not great wines actually. Mm. Um, but well, if the enjoyment of drinking wine in a restaurant is the enjoyment of drinking wine in a restaurant, I know some people say said to me. Surely you, this food, you shouldn't have wine in this food, you should just be drinking water. Actually, if you want to go to a restaurant and you're having a social evening, a social uh, lunch or dinner, and you like drinking a particular wine, and it works pretty well with the food, yeah. then surely that's what you, should, what you should do. Plus the fact, a winemaker, I'm talking about some of the world's great winemakers that devote their life to making one wine. Yeah. How as a chef are you going to be able to knock up something potentially better than that? You know that that's it's like the best baker will make will make best bread better bread than mm. the best chef. The best chocolate maker will make better chocolates than the best chef. Mm. The chefs, our chefs are more kind of you know jack of all mm. trades and master of none. Whereas mm. the person that just devotes their life to one thing, mm. it's amazing what you know what they can get out of come back to wine. What a great winemaker can you actually get from just a mm. bunch of grapes. Yeah. And so, 
Do you ever wonder, we're getting to the point, I think when I studied science, the, the, I think it's yeah. Lord Cavendish or something said in 1920, I feel sorry because there's nothing left to be discovered. We're going to get to the point where there's pure combinations and to, to discover and you're going to run out of things no, to do? No, I don't, not, not, not in my lifetime, no. I, I actually think what's happening now, what's so exciting is the whole world of the coming back to taste and flavour perception is opening up more and more but hmm. um, it's becoming the more uh, I know the more I learn the more I find out the more I reason I, I realise I actually don't know and there's something what's what I think this is going to come out in the next few years but this whole notion of five tastes I think will be blown out of the water yeah. this whole notion of six senses will be blown out of the water I mean it, it already is starting to be to yeah. be honest so if you look at the sense of sense of sight is a, is a category but actually light and shade and perspective and colour are not all the same elements of sight mm. they've isolated 21 different um, receptors on the tongue for bitter alone mm. so that's going to go um and there's there's a lot of research being done now, and this I mean this is mind-boggling, and I'm I'm I've, I only I mean I yeah. only know a tiny bit about it, but there's sort of they found receptors in fruit flies, and there's so sort of, I don't know what the similarity is between them and human beings, but apparently it's a sign <laughs> yeah. that uh, they found a receptor for carbonic acid, which basically means that CO2, carbon dioxide, could be a taste. They're already looking at the possibility that fat is actually a taste, and we've got taste receptors in our stomach. So the linkage between the digestive system and food likings and food cravings goes far beyond just a memory thing. It's a bit like the Chinese view of the body is all the different. Yeah, yeah abso you know, absolutely. It's, it's something that's balanced yeah. and everything gets affected. Interestingly enough, some of the stuff, if you look at it with it with with Chinese medicine and Chinese approach. And some elements of Buddhism, mm. actually, it's amazing that some of these people sort of had these theories that are based on a spiritual belief. But actually, some of the work that's coming out now actually it's kind of signals the fact that mm. you're not actually far. It might not be far wrong. And that that whole thing of looking at the the the, 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 the correlation between the, uh, the digestive system and the amount of how much we like our food mm. depends on what it's doing to our digestive system. I don't mean we don't like eating facts we think it will make us fat mm. something a lot more complex than that and, and subconscious there's something that. a bit addictive about fat too depending yeah. on the fact well, you're being eaten yeah. yeah we're hardwired things we're, we're we flavours aromas we, yeah. we is cultural so it's nurture so we develop yeah. a liking or we develop a liking for it depending on our cultural upbringing mm. and, and, and peers and stuff taste so the sweet and sour, sour and salty and bitter mm. and umami is more hardwired and that's why we have we taste there's more sweet receptors towards the front of the tongue and the back yeah. uh, and the idea that it stems from when we see foraging if something mm. tongue on it is sweet you can eat it so that's your first test bitter there's more bitter receptors at the back of the tongue and the theory for that is that we're chewing a food and just before we swallow if it's that bitter, we'll spit it out. It's like the, mm. it's like the mouth's last defense mechanism. To stop you eating it, To yeah. stop you swallowing it, yeah. Mm. Um, and, and so, um, but when it comes to fat, sweet and fat, mm. the, we're hardwired 
to light those because it gives us energy. Um, and then what happens is our culture then tries to tell us that obviously some people, I don't want to eat anything fatty because it's bad for me. Yeah. Now, everyone's got their own levels of how much fat yeah, they want yeah. to eat. But, but our hard wiring is, yeah, we like fat. Not I mean, you've just been through a horrendous, you know, bit of a crisis with your restaurant. Yeah. A terrible thing. Yeah. Handled incredibly well from what I saw of it in the media. Mm, thank you. It's been. Yeah. But, um, you know, it must be, you've got to think how you're bouncing back. Have you got some big ideas to say, oh, I'm going to do this or do that in what? terms of not, not, not just on the, the hygiene and yeah. staff working in the kitchen? I'm thinking about the, what, you, what you serve people and food and where you're um, going and what kind of things you're going to be doing in five years' time. And certainly. Um, well, you've taken stock. Yeah, obviously, I have a, I have over this. There's a few things that, and I've got to do something. Something good's got to come out of, come yeah. out of this, from my point of view. Yeah. First thing I would say that there's a, there's the, the, the a greater awareness of. Uh, the HPA have said I can't say anything yet because mm. they, all the, the the tests haven't been there. The investigation hasn't been finalised. Sure. But what what has whether it is this or whether it isn't this there is a possibility that it was this norovirus, this yeah, winter yeah. flu thing. Now, I, l I, did a little, I did a Google and looked up advice for restaurants in, um, in the US for, uh, with norovirus, mm. loads of stuff. You do the same thing in the UK, and there's not much. Mm. And in terms of raising awareness of some of the dangers out there, I think the reason mm. that, I think this, this, this has happened to other restaurants, yeah. but because of the high profile nature of the fact that and because of the, I took the steps closing the restaurant, calling the EHO mm. in etc etc and then going to the press, obviously then everyone else uh, these other people phoned up and said I was ill, I was ill I was ill, and somebody mm. said I came in on 2006 and I was ill so it, you know, if, if it could happen to another restaurant where they just brush it under the carpet and the people that phone up don't know anyone mm. else is phoning up mm. because certainly when we contacted the, the environmental health no one had been in touch with them at all yeah. Yeah. And and so, I, one is raising awareness of this and things being put, putting things in place for. Because I, I, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Mm. So um, that's one thing. Um, having restaurants also work with people like the H Health Protection Agency and the EHO because I think traditionally they see these bodies as like the the, the, the inland revenue of food. Yeah, they are. Because you think. You know, Especially the here, they, they don't want you to cook at 60 degrees, they want you to cook at 75 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, fun, the good thing is, they've been, they've come because that was one of the questions is obviously modern modern cooking. It's obviously yeah. something to, yeah. no, it is. Because that's science. Yeah, exactly. And it is categorically not food poisoning. Mm. That, that's, that's the one thing mm. we can say. And they've looked at all the processes, the, 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 um, the scientific fact is it's okay. I mean, mm. it's not. It, there are temperatures that are dangerous and there are temperatures it's, but it's not temperature it's temperature and time combination yeah. but um, so I would one of them is to encourage restaurants to work more closely with people like the, 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 the EHO for them because they can also learn from the restaurants yeah. so if you do have a problem rather than going oh my god somebody's phoned us up and said they're real mm. stuff them it's a load of nonsense or God, I don't want to tell uh, the, the environmental health. If your systems and practices are, are mm. doing as you should do, get straight on the phone to them and put them in yeah. touch. Yeah, yeah. Because they should be actually there f to help you. So that's that's something that's beneficial. Well, the other thing that I, I, I am, in terms of my style, in terms of any of the techniques, 
the no, I'm I'm one hundred percent behind all of them. Yeah. Um, I am. Oh, I was questioning there. I was thinking, what you've got any sort of big surprises like you know the big morbid jelly with the vibrators that ah, sleep now. in public, that kind now. of thing. Yes, yes. Uh, I am, uh, and I, I haven't quite decided which way I'm going to go, but we're certainly going to ditch. The, with the moment we've got the tasting menu and the a la carte. Yeah. I'm going to ditch the a la carte by probably autumn, yeah. and either run two tasting menus. Yeah. So the one we've got now and a historic British one, which will be exactly the kind of some of the things inspired by the feast series. Um, but it's not a historic British menu, it's my interpretation of. Yeah. Um, or alternatively, I might even say I'm only going to do one menu, change it four times a year, and have that menu a combination of the existing um, yeah. tasting menu plus the historic, the, the historic recipe thing, something that I'm, I'm really yeah. genuinely fascinated in. So that's that, that is going to work its way onto the I'm menu. I'm amazed that people will even come to your restaurant and just eat a la carte. That's, this is the other thing actually, we, I looked at it over the last two months, so the, uh, the two months before we closed that was, and we're, in the evening we are 80, we're averaging 88% tasting menu. Yeah. So, uh, so you've got nearly nine out of every 10 people yeah. are already in the tasting menu. So, the, and the reason the a la carte was there in the first place was because uh, it was a confidence thing. You don't yeah. want to alienate people if you had the, the more creative stuff, but then you'd have the, then the safe stuff. So on the menu, there's still mm. pot roast pork with the gratin and a macaroni and a venison with like a, a civet with pearl barley and there's a lasagna of langoustines and yeah, things that are more conventional, more, more mm. really sit more happy in a conventional kind of gastronomic restaurant. Mm. So um, my confidence with that has changed quite a bit now, so we don't need to do that anymore. And um, how much have you styled your image? I mean, you know, it's like shave your head, you've got sort of oh. scientific looking glasses. Yeah, no. You're deliberately trying to look like serious and scientific. No, 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 no. My, my shaved head is a really co complex reason for this. My shaved head, I have a hair that is so thick yeah. that, do you remember the hair bear bunch? Yes. <laughs> if, I, if I grow my hair, all it does is does this. It just goes okay. up and up. So and you look like Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 I invested into a 15, 20 quid razor, and I've, I've been doing this, shaving my hair like this, for 20... So I just wondered if it's a bit like Gordon Ramsay having sort of like blonde highlights. No, no, certainly don't have a stylist for that way. And then my glasses, I just... Um, when I went to get some glasses, I, I saw um, this shop does sunglasses and glasses. And I just, I was talking to folks there, and I thought, why don't, why don't, why can't they make glasses that are more like sunglasses? Sunglasses are curved. Yeah, and they sort of go around the and edge there. Yeah, and 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 then he, they said they were talking, and then he phoned me up. He said, oh, I've found a company that make these glasses that are that is probably about as curved as you can get for your subscription. So that's why I got them, because they're kind of sunglasses shaped without the sunglasses. Um, yeah, and that and that so and that's it. That's it. So you're not trying to look scientific. No, 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 no. Like no, no. Because you sort of do. Yeah, I, I wonder. Be interesting. I'd be interesting to see if people didn't know what I would, what I did. Because that that you're not the first person to make that mm. comment. So if people didn't know what I did. I wondered if they still make that comment, or is because you, when you know what, what somebody does, yeah. you go, 
search for perfection on his arm. I don't yeah. have you seen Malcolm Gladwell's thing he did on the tomato on the best review of the TED Talks. This bloke, you know, he worked out there was only really, you know, there is no such thing as perfection. But, you know, some yeah. people like super chunky, super Absolutely some people like right. super things. There's, there's thing. a whole point of the insurgent perfection thing. Was it? Yeah. There's the whole point. There, 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 there is no, no such, such thing, thing as perfection. perfection. It's exactly, okay. It was yeah. exactly the point I wanted to make. Yeah. And I, I, I had a big argument at the time with the BBC because they said they wanted to call it perfection and I said I'm not I'm not it's not perfect I said in perfection not only is perfection subjective but mm. one thing that is perfect for if somebody actually really feels that that's perfect that's the very same thing the next day won't, even if it's exactly the same it won't necessarily be perfect there is a time and a place and a moment where whatever you've had let's say you're going to eat something and mm. you think fantastic that could be perfect could be perfect but that mm. might be that one I mean I remember on the pizza program for the search of perfection standing picking a tomato the first bit of location filming we did for that series and I was standing in this allotment at the foot of Vesuvius and I picked off this this summer shining San Manzano tomato mm. and ate it and I knew I'd had better tasting tomatoes just little cherry ones on a vine mm. really sweet and, but it was one of the most memorable tomatoes I've ever had but I was standing at the foot of Vesuvius eating it yeah and so you can't you can't take those elements away so if you're talking yeah. about something with chunks in it or not chunks there's a reason why you could it could be a sauce for spaghetti for example mm. that actually you might want something to have physical properties so like it needs to stick to the pasta Therefore, the pasta should be of a certain size and shape, and the sauce should be of a certain texture. Mm. But actually, it might also be just the fact that I prefer, I like eating it when I'm biting into chunks because I get a burst of flavour. Or yeah. actually, I prefer the texture, or today I don't want to eat that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so, someone eats at your restaurant, you're not offering them perfection. No. You're offering them. Well, for me, it would be. It would be. Um, something that could not get at home something yeah. that could not get in another restaurant mm. it's, it's better but something yeah. that just said couldn't get in another restaurant and to actually have a sense of fun mm. it would kind of be those those three things I heard you on the radio today it's describing you as a foodie you see yourself as a foodie? I don't uh, see you as a foodie I don't so you're a chef, you're a technician. I was, yeah, I wouldn't say as a foodie. I think food. I think foodies are more people that are, when I say amateurs, mm. they might love their food and be really interested in food mm. and really interested in ingredients and really interested in cooking and all things food. Mm. But it's it, it's a hobby. Now for me, it's it's my life. Yeah. Uh, it also happens to be a hobby, yeah. but it is my, it is my life. Mm. And so, um. Yeah, well, I'm whilst I've been saying to you all about, you know, I, I love what I do and I want to have fun and this kind of thing. Yeah, I do. I will be lying to say I don't take what I do seriously. And, uh, mm. you know, I kind of elements of me, I'm going to take myself very seriously, probably too seriously sometimes. But mm. the, but it's, it's actually... It's only food at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, I was talking about this with my, I got my pastry chef and yeah. Carl that runs the development kitchen with me. And I said, it's very fun, isn't it? How sometimes you're just in that moment 
and you think you're the fourth emergency service, and at the end of the day, yeah. all you're doing is cooking Good. food. Yeah. Do you ever enjoy a Big Mac? No. Uh, I haven't had it. Well, I haven't had a Big Mac for. I ate it. I had a bite for the perfection series with the mm. burger. Um, but I so, but that's as, as an example. But I mentioned Paul Cocktail. Yeah. I love Paul Cocktail, but I'm I talking like about. Like the I like doing the retro way as well. Oh yeah, the iceberg lettuce. Chicken in a basket. Chicken in a basket. Yeah, yeah, fantastic yeah. basket meals. And, and I also, um, what was the other thing? Um, um, uh, God, that poor cocktail. There was something else we were talking about. Um, oh yeah, my son had. This is this is a couple of months ago. He went and got. It was a Monday night. He said, oh, "Do you want a kebab?" So he went and got a kebab. I said, "I'll have I'll have a chicken one." So it was just chicken the chicken slices on the on the griddle. Mm. Bitter, shredded cabbage, the onion, all the other bits. Mm. So it was quite healthy, but he had a he had a doner kebab, and it was years since I had one of them. <laughs> and I said, "Oh God, can I have a bite?" And uh, it, it was that. It was a minging. Oh, lovely. Was it? Yeah. yeah. In a minging way. Yeah. But yeah. it was so so so. Whilst my auntie said about a Big Mac. The answer is no to that. Yeah. Not not because I'm too important or snobbish, yeah. but there are there's there's other Big Mac type things that I yeah. yeah yeah and I think and as I said earlier, it's okay yeah. to yeah. eat that stuff. I don't you know as long yeah. as you do you're not a Nazi. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I run over. You need to get changed. So that is brilliant. Thank you very brilliant. much. Well, sorry about the delay.